So if you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and we are going to get back to our study after a couple of weeks break. And uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 25, I think, is where we'll begin reading in just a, a moment or so. But let me ask this question uh, to get our, put our thinking caps on, get us going just a little bit. Is there anybody you look up to in the life of our church? Now, some of us are new, and so we don't know a whole lot of folks just yet. But for those of us that have been around for a little while and have come to know different folks, uh, is there anybody that you look up to in the life of our church? Who, who would that be? This is a little exercise for you. Who would that be? And I hope that there is someone, perhaps several someones who come to mind. In our study today, we're going to talk about some of the special people that God places in the life of a church to move the church forward in a significant way. It isn't that it's by their power or by their might or their strength. It is always by God's power, His strength, and His might. But God works through some unique people that He's placed in the life of every church to move it forward in a significant way. So the Apostle Paul, who, who uh, penned this letter, he teaches us that we need to pay attention to who these people are, what they do, and to appreciate the significant work that they provide to pastors and to the mission of the church. Now, here's, here's, here's why we go through this a study like this. When we walk through uh, uh, Philippians, for example, which is where we are, you might say, well, how, is, how does that work for a Sunday morning? And is that really, does that really attract a crowd? And is that really an important thing for us to do and whatever? The answer to that is whether it attracts a crowd or not, and I believe that it can if people are hungry for the Word of God. But what it does is it teaches the church or it reminds the church how to do church, how to live our lives in corporate uh, unity, and it, it, it challenges us to, to always be raising the bar of excellence in the life of the church. And so this is why we study this, to, to move toward excellence, toward spiritual maturity in the life of the church. And so in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 29b, and I'm just going to jump us ahead there. We're going to read it in a moment. But part of that verse, b, is the last part of it. It says, hold men, and we could say women, Hold men, like Paul's going to describe to us, hold people like that in high regard. In the life of the church, there are going to be people that God is going to use and raise up. And, and Paul says, hold these people in high regard in the life of the church. Who are they? What do they look like? Uh, and are you one of them? Are you one of those people? that God is talking about in, in, in Philippians chapter 2? Or are you becoming one of those people? So let's read Philippians two twenty-five to 30. The Apostle Paul is uh, just finishing describing his uh, mentor relationship. We, two, three weeks ago, we talked about his mentoring relationship with Timothy. It was a powerful uh, relationship. And, and we tied in the fact that Lakeview is calling a number of young people uh, to this laboratory, an experience that they can have in the life of this church, where we as a, a more experienced staff in some cases, or experienced laymen and women in the life of this church, can give these young people called to Christian service 
an opportunity to grow, to love, to practice their ministry, and to uh, whether they stay with us over an extended period of time or whether they, they move out into the highways and byways, the hedges of, of life, and, and exercise kingdom work, uh, whether in the United States or around the world, that they are better for it because they have come across this laboratory experience. And so this is what Paul was doing with young Timothy, and that's where we left uh, uh, Philippians. But let me hasten to add this morning that uh, I'm going to talk about, we're going to read several verses, but you know, it's Memorial Day Sunday. I, I can only get so much of this in on a, on a morning like this. And so I'm not, this is going to be in, in a couple of parts. So we'll just deal with uh, part one this morning. And we're going to take an important look at, listen to this, lay ministry in the church of Jesus Christ. What does it look like? Lay ministry in the church of Jesus Christ. Here we go. Uh, chapter two, verse 25. Paul says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow." Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men, listen, here here we go, hold men like him, and we could say women, hold him and women like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So this is an incredible passage that we want to take apart and and learn from Paul's heart and his spirit uh, as to how to think and live and and to function in the life of the church. Well, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, Encephalitis, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it sounds like a disease almost. I mean, funny man Don Rickles might have said, say Epaphroditus three times in a row real fast and you win a cookie. Now, if you know anything about Don Rickles, uh, then that wouldn't make any sense to you. But Don Rickles, how many books in the Bible? Give that man a cookie. All right. How, how many books in the New Testament? 27. Whoever said... Give Lane Mackey a cookie, okay? Uh, how many books in the Old Testament? There, give him two cookies. And a bib. See, that's Don Rickles. That's a comedian. He's always, always uh, uh, punching at people. And, and he made a, li- a, great, a great living as a comedian that way. Epaphroditus. It is a little hard to say three times in a row uh, fast. But what a strange name. We're not talking about Don Rickles. We're talking about Epaphroditus. Literally from the Greek culture, this name is, meaning, what does Epaphroditus mean? Belonging to, belonging to, or favored by Aphrodite. Favored by Aphrodite, who was a Greek goddess of love. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do with Christianity, whatever? The Romans called, called her uh, Venus. Venus, as you've heard some of these names. Aphrodite, Venus, what does that have to do with Christian thought? 
Well, there's an important thought here because both Aphroditus and Timothy, if you remember who we talked about three weeks ago, both Aphroditus and Timothy came from Greek culture. Why is that important? It's a pagan culture. It was a culture that did not know about Christ, that did not know about the Jewish nation, God's chosen people. They were not raised in the atmosphere of a love and a respect for Jehovah as the one true God. They had no history. Follow this now. They had no history of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. They had no Moses in their history They had no law. They had no Ten Commandments. They had no knowledge of a coming Messiah that the Jewish people were long expecting. They Listen, they simply, this pagan culture, they simply heard the gospel message and believed, just like many of us listening to the message today. Why is that important? Many of us in the audience today were not raised in a Christian home. Amen? Some of you know. You were not raised to know Jesus. You were not raised to know anything about the background and the history of Jesus Christ. You you were not raised to know really that, that much, if anything, about the Jewish nation and about God's chosen people and how all that came about. You had, you had no early knowledge of that, but when you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you responded. Amen? Amen. Now see, that, that wasn't my experience. From childhood, from, from the womb almost, I was taught about Jesus and about the Jews and about the children of Israel and all of that. But, and, so, and so that was a great blessing and a great advantage to some extent. But listen, don't underestimate the power of how God uses people who were not early prepared. Some of you have come to Christ later in life. That is not a deficiency. That is an efficiency when Jesus is involved. Amen? When you realize that you were a human being who had something called sin in their life, of not, of not feeling good about the decisions that you've made in your life, and maybe some of the circumstances that have come about in your life, and nobody told you that there was hope in somebody called Jesus Christ, and you finally you come to a place like this, or some, some coffee shop where somebody sits down w- with you and shares this good news, or you go through a class in college that, uh, on religion, and you learn about this person and the work of Jesus Christ, or somebody, a co-worker at lunch, sits down with you and, and shares this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, and your heart responds to the gospel. And you say yes to Jesus. And you allow Him to save you. When I say allow Him in the sense that God wants you to love Him. Jesus wants you to love Him and to want Him. And He's waiting for some of you, perhaps even in the sound of my voice and on the internet hearing this, that that Jesus is waiting for you to want Him. And He's waiting for His sacrifice on the cross to cover your sin debt. He's waiting for you to invite Him into your world, into your life, into your mind, into your heart, and to give you not only forgiveness and the promise of eternal life, but a new life with a new mind and with instructions that will help you to move in a completely different way than you have moved up to this point in time in your life, a better life. And you became a Christian when you heard that. And it was only later in life, later in time, in the timeline 
of your life. It was only later on that you came to understand all the history behind the coming of Jesus Christ into this world that he created with the Father in the beginning. Only later in your spiritual journey did you come to understand God's merciful plan to save sinful people from themselves if they would only accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Let me give an illustration. Uh, I can remember people like Paul is describing about Epaphroditus. In each church where where Cynthia and I have had the privilege of, of pastoring over the years, and I can literally, if I, if I just take the time, I can literally name some of these Epaphroditus people in every one of the churches. They're people, who are they? They're people who love the church so much. Are you one of them? They love the church so much that they give their full effort to making it as successful as it could possibly be. And I can tell you that every pastor... Uh, worth his or her salt, needs a number of people like Epaphroditus to come alongside their efforts, or the church will never meet the expectations Christ has for his bride. It just won't happen without people like Epaphroditus. And I can call them by face. I can call these people by name. I know who they were in every one of those churches as I look back over time and as I think about the people who came And still do come alongside, even to this day, to help me and others on our staff to do the work of the Lord. Some people over the years, and even now, were paid staff. Yes, they were paid staff. But most of them were incredible laymen and laywomen who felt the call, like Epaphroditus, to come alongside and to help lead the church to get to the places it needed to go for Jesus Christ. And sometimes over the course of ministry, sadly, some of those unique Epaphroditus people who came alongside us in our ministry and helped us so tremendously would leave my side through death. Or sometimes they would move to a different city. And my heart would always grieve before the Lord because their shoes were always so hard to fill. So hard to fill. So today's study is about one of those people. And it could be, listen, it could be the story of one of you. It could be the story of one of you right here in this this room. Because there are a number of you who are making a difference in this church. And you will be remembered by this pastor and this pastor's wife. You'll be, you, will, you are already being remembered, some of you, as an influential layman or laywoman who helped us in a big way during our time together. I already know who some of you are. I don't know yet who some of you will be. But I, we are very grateful for who you are. Verse 25, let's just take a look at one verse this morning. But I thought it necessary, Paul says, to send to you Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus has been with Paul for a period of time. And he said, but I'm going to send him back. I I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my, listen to what he says, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. 
So the context of this verse 25 is that Paul is in prison in Rome, if, if you recall this. If you're new, if you're here for the first time, Paul is in prison in Rome. He's been charged with a capital crime. He's waiting for his trial. He's locked. He's, he, he is handcuffed or chained to a prison guard. Uh, he's in a house of some sort. It's not the worst prison he could be in, but it is a, a place where he, we would say today, is confined to his home. And he's got to wear an ankle brace, uh, bracelet, you know, so the, the authorities can keep control of know where he goes, that he's not allowed to leave the house. He has to stay there, but people can come and visit him while he's waiting for his trial. So that's the context of Paul in prison waiting for trial. And one of his founding churches, one of his favorite churches, if not his favorite church, Philippi, uh, the Philippians, who supported him financially over the course of his, his mission ministry, had sent him some financial support by way of Epaphroditus, who was a part of that that church in Philippi. And they said, Epaphroditus, take the money that we've collected, as we've done before. He's in Rome right now. Take this gift from our church to him, and then find out how he's doing. Minister to him. Take care of him. Nurture him. Encourage him while he is incarcerated and let him know of our love and our care and our concern for him. And so Epaphroditus has been with Paul. He's been doing this on behalf of the Philippian church. And yet Paul is getting ready, and we'll study this more uh, the next time we talk. But Paul is getting ready to send Epaphroditus back home. And there are some important reasons why he's doing that. And we'll talk about that at another time. So... What are some things that we can learn from chapter, or from chapter 2, verse 25, about this Epaphroditus? Because I believe we have a number of Epaphroditus's and, and, uh, in, and in the female gender as well in this church right here. So let me give you a couple things real quickly. Learning about Epaphroditus. Number one, I think it's clear to us that he was willing to endure a hard journey. From Philippi, I didn't put it on a map today, but we've shown the map in the past. But from Philippi, uh, let's put it this way, from Philippi uh, in the east to Rome that would be west of Philippi is about a six-week, 800-mile journey. So Epaphroditus was willing to endure a hard journey from Philippi to go visit Rome and to take Paul the, the offerings and that sort of thing. Some say that the absolute shortest time you could make it in good weather was six weeks, but if the weather was bad, it could take a person as long as three months in that day to actually make it from Philippi to Rome. And uh, that's under the best uh, of conditions. So this is a man who was not afraid to take a hard journey for Jesus. Uh, Number two, we, we learned that he had great courage. How do we know that he had great courage? Because, as I said earlier, Paul was accused of a capital crime. That's serious business. You you can be beheaded. You can lose your life over a capital crime. And so he's waiting for Caesar, the emperor, to to give him an audience. And and thumbs up, thumbs down, or something in between, whatever it's going to be, Paul's waiting for him to do that. And so this is a dangerous man to be around. If, If the emperor was really hostile toward Paul... And was going to take his life. If you were hanging around Paul, listen, it's sort of like a lightning strike. You want to be anywhere near a friend who's getting struck by lightning? No. 
Help me out there. I was a little weak on lightning. Okay, you want to be around somebody just got struck by lightning? The answer is, I don't think so. Okay, thank you. That's good. So you don't want to be around anybody that might get his head lopped off. And so for Epaphroditus to be willing to go right into the potential of harm's way showed that he had great courage in a dangerous situation. You know, even the church at Rome, there was a church at Rome. Even the church at Rome was so frightened by Paul's situation that they didn't even come alongside him. Somebody had to come 800 miles away to come and encourage him. Even the church right in his own district, in his own Grant County, would not go visit him and take care of him and minister to him like a church 800 miles away would do. And so this is a tremendous fellow. Epaphroditus was literally taking his chances on what he would find six weeks later or longer when he finally got to Rome and saw what was going on. So now listen to this. This is exciting. Listen to how Paul describes this guy. My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. You know that word my? Those of you who know grammar and all that, you know that's a possessive pronoun. And what, what, it, my, what it suggests is there's a bond there's a, there's a tremendous bond going on between Paul and Epaphroditus because he says he's my brother. He's, he's, he's my guy. You know, right here in the front row is a woman. And she happens to be a wife. But when I say my wife, that says something completely different, doesn't it? And so when he says, hey, brothers and sisters, but when he says, my brother, my sister, that's something unique. You know, when I, when I go to district functions um, or uh, things that the Wesleyan denomination, we're part of a Wesleyan denomination, I see all kinds of spiritual brothers and sisters when I go to those kinds of meetings. And some of you have been there, you know what I'm talking about. And that's really what we are, aren't we? Aren't we all really a great big family of God, all related to one another through Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen? We're all big, a great big family. That's true. And that is what we are, a great big family. But when I get around someone from my church in those meetings, and there's all kinds of spiritual brothers and sisters, but when I look around the room and I see lots of brothers and sisters in Christ and I spot one of my staff or I spot one of you in those big meetings filled with all kinds of spiritual brothers and sisters, then I go, ah, my brother my sister who's laboring with me. There's a special bond that is even more special than just simply brothers or sisters in Christ. I think of them as my brothers, my sisters in a special bond. And who knows but what Epaphroditus had been the main courier of delivering support money over the years from the Philippian church. It's possible that that Epaphroditus came many times to Paul as he traveled the known world, beginning churches in many different cities, Thessalonica and Galatia and all these different places. It's possible that Epaphroditus was the guy who delivered the check on behalf of of the church at Philippi. And every time Paul sees Epaphroditus coming, he knew he was bringing the love of the Philippian church. He knew that he was getting a supportive companion. He, he knew that the dollars and cents that, that he was carrying would be, 
would not be pilfered and what would not be wasted or he would not lose it or he would not let it get stolen or he would not steal it himself pieces of it that he would deliver the whole the whole check sound and clear uh, to Paul and and when he saw him coming he would know that the prayers of the Philippian people would be behind him and he would be reminding them of the partnership that they share this bond that they share in ministry and so Paul looks at Epaphroditus and sees, sees him coming and he goes, my brother, my brother, my brother. You don't talk about him behind his back. You don't mess with him. You, you like him. You love him. You don't ever say anything bad about him because, uh, you know, if it's possible, I'll take you out. My brother, my brother. There's a bond there. It's a tremendous thing. It's how we ought to really be for one another, not to beat anybody up, but... I'm just saying, God wants us to love one another with a bond, a special bond. My brother. Then, then, then he calls him, listen to this, my fellow worker. I want you to think about this for a moment. What does it mean to be a fellow worker? You know, Paul probably was the epitome, the premier example of a model Christian until this day, outside of Jesus Christ. And listen, listen to what he says about Epaphroditus. He, he makes... No distinction of rank between he, Paul, the epitome of Christianity, and Epaphroditus. He, he doesn't say, oh, well, Epaphroditus is a good guy. Man, he's over here. You know, he, he's at this level, but I'm kind of at this level because I saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus picked me out, and I'm an, I'm an apostle. And I'm, he doesn't do that. He does not do that. He, he, he has them on equal footing. This layman is on equal footing with the man that we would say, if we could be like Paul, we'd all be happy and glad. There's certainly a place for respect in the life of the church for the office of a pastor or some denominational official or some leader in the life of the church so the organization can run efficiently. But listen to me carefully here. This is so vital, so important for some of us in terms of how we see ourselves and the issue of spiritual self-esteem. Listen to this. There is no real distinction of value between a committed layman or a committed pastor or denominational official. There's no distinction of value. They are valued equally. Some of you forget that. Some of you you are not sure that what you do in the life of the church matters as much as what some pastor does or some Sunday school teacher does or some small group leader does. And that's not right. That's wrong. And I'm going to show you more about why that's wrong. They should be really working hand in hand in the life of the... See, this is teaching us how the church works, how it should think, how it should feel about things. They should be working hand in hand in the life of the church even though some are more closely aligned with one another over the course of ministry. Some, some of us get closer to one another, than, but it has no distinction of value. They were all of equal value. And then he calls Epaphroditus, my fellow soldier. How many have served in the military? Raise your hand. If you served in the military, raise your hand. Okay, so... So you understand orders, and you understand rank, and you understand all of this. So Paul, Paul was always, remember this about Paul, he was always getting into trouble. Every city Paul went to, he got himself in trouble because of his boldness for Jesus Christ. 
And so, you know, you would have thought that when he walked into a new town, a new city or whatever, he would say, first, oh, no, before, before we go have coffee with anybody, before we break bread together, before I wash my, the dirt off my feet and clean up my sandals and I've been coming along. No, 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 before any of that, somebody tell me where the local jail is because that's where I'm going. Eventually, I'm going to land in jail. So tell me where it is so I know where it is. I mean, you might as well have thought he would do that. Because he was in a constant battle with the enemy of God. And, and so are we. And constantly, the enemy is coming against us and harassing us and trying to give us a hard... Firing bullets, his spiritual bullets at us. And so, you know what? If, you serve, if you've ever served anywhere near combat, you know if the bullets are flying that it is a great thing to not have to be alone. It's a great thing to have a fellow soldier at your side. That soldier will watch your back and you watch his back or her back and you look out for one another because the battle, the spiritual battle, is raging against Christians. And in the same way we've seen with our Memorial Day emphasis, it's, you know what, it's really easy to sing the songs of battle. Because we like the tunes and we like the words that they say. But it's something different from singing the songs of battle and going to battle. Amen? It's different. It's easy to sing the song about it, but it's not easy to go to battle. And Epaphroditus was willing to go. He was a go-to-the-battle guy. So the question might be this morning, am I a go-to-the-battle guy or, or gal? man or woman. Am, am I go take it to the battle? Am I willing to do that? See, see, listen, this is why we have a missions emphasis Sunday. See, why did we do that last week? Why did we bring as many missionaries as we could into this place? And many of them were local missionaries, local in the sense that they serve as chaplain in, in the police department, chaplains in the sheriff's uh, chaplaincy program, uh, 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 pregnancy Help Center, and all these different ones that we brought in. Why do you think the church does stuff like that? It's so that we can encourage our missionaries because they're under constant attack from the enemy. And listen, those missionaries that we saw, whether they went some faraway place or whether they went into harm's way right here in this city or right here in this county, some place into harm's way, what do you think it's like to go have to tell a family member that, a family member that, that your, your loved one was, was killed in a tragic accident, and you're the one that has to go and deliver that news to several people? How hard do you think that is? How hard do you think it is to see a homeless person walking down the street like I saw the other day, driving right through Marion, and a woman just talking to herself like she was a crazy person? Like there was somebody right beside her that she was talking to and her mind not working right. And I don't know whether it was drug driven or the, the something not right in the brain was not wired right, whatever. What is it like to, to sit down with a person like that and to love them and to care for them? See, see, some of these people are going into places we don't want to go or places that we're not willing to go. And so they could use, listen, they could use a fellow soldier to stand beside them. That's why we do Mission Sunday. To get a fellow soldier beside these people to say, you're not just forgotten. We pray for you. We, we send money through our faith promise program 
to stand beside you, just like Epaphroditus was coming saying, you're not alone, Paul. Yeah, you're over in this prison alone. But I'll tell you what, there's lots of people praying for you. And, and I'll tell you what, I don't care if they do throw me in jail right along with you. I came here to nurse you, to, cut, to, to put balm on your wounds, and to, 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 to help you with your loneliness, and all these kinds of things. You know, let me give you an illustration. I remember a friend in another church. And some years ago, and uh, he, he, would, he would get some buddies together, and they would pack up an SUV, and they would head north toward Canada, toward the, toward the border. Some of you have been there, you know what I'm talking about. And when they got to the border, they would cross over the border, and then they would hire a guide to fly them deep into the wilderness of Canada uh, to a lake, a secluded lake, with nothing around anywhere, so the only way you could get there is by a floater plane to come in and land on, on the lake. And, and, and once they got there at the secluded lake, they, they would work hard and unload the plane, and then they would pitch their tents, and they would set up camp, and then they would have to hide the food from bears and wolves who might try to come along. And one thing after another, they would do all of this for one reason. One reason they would drive all the way from Waterloo, Iowa, all the way to somewhere in the middle of Canada on a secluded lake, all for one reason. What is it? The fishing there was fantastic. And any of you fishermen know what a great thing that is when the fish are biting. Good fish. Big fish. Sometimes as we fish for souls, the fishing is great in some place far away that demands a lot of effort to get there, a lot of money to get there, sometimes a lot of danger. We, one of our missionaries in the Far East was given one hour to get out of her apartment and take whatever she could with her within one hour, told to get out by the authorities. They, are, they go to places where it's not safe, there's danger, there are hostilities around the camp, these guys, they, they knew how to, they had a skill to know how to fish. They had the right equipment. They would go any place in Canada where the fishing was good so they could catch fish. Those are our missionaries. And that, my friends, is the spirit of one Epaphroditus, a layman, a man who was willing to risk, which is what a soldier does. That's what a soldier does. Willing to risk a fellow, my, my fellow soldier in the life of the work of ministry at Lakeview Wesleyan Church. And you know, in a secular sense, that's exactly what every soldier, that's what every police officer, that's what every firefighter demonstrates every time they put on the uniform and wear the badge. It's interesting to me that this fellow soldier concept pops up on a day when we are remembering special people in our lives. Isn't that interesting? Here we are in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 25, and we're talking about something fitting for a Memorial Day theme. Isn't that interesting? Whether it's a dear family member or friends, whether it's remembering the many who have labored as soldiers for the cause of freedom of religion, among other freedoms, we feel that sense of bonding that happens when we have this common experience of fighting and defending the things we love, like God, like Jesus Christ, like His church, like our country. There's a, there's a tight sort of camaraderie that happens when we serve together 
in a common cause. Wow, those three descriptions that Paul makes of Epaphroditus are enlightening. They're invigorating to me. It's almost as though Paul says of Epaphroditus, hey, Epaphroditus and I served in God's army together at Philippi, and he had my back, and I had his back, and we're tight, man. We are tight. We are really tight. We are really tight. Are you tight with the person beside you? Are you tight with the person in front of you? Are you tight with some of the people sitting behind you? Are you tight with the people on the other side of the, uh, the, the, the uh, building? Are you tight with one of your st- our staff people? Are you tight with your Sunday school teacher? Are you tight with your small group leader? Are you tight with your youth leader? Are you tight with the people in the life of the church? And then he identifies Epaphroditus in his role as a courier for the Philippian church. But not only as that, but as a minister, uh, meaning that he brought Paul more than money. He brought 800 miles away, six weeks. He brought Paul more than money. This layman, this 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 is not a Bible college professor or a seminary professor. This layman brought crucial support even different from young Timothy. Listen, there's nothing in the Scriptures that we find, no record of Epaphroditus being a preacher-teacher like like Timothy was. There's no evidence that he was a high-level leader in the church at Philippi. There's no evidence that he was a high-level leader in the church. Or anything more than simply a courageous, behind-the-scenes servant of the Lord in a layperson's role. So remember this as we, as we begin to close this. Remember this about yourselves if you are not in, in the vocational ministry. We don't have to achieve high levels of leadership in the church to be high-efficiency partners in ministry. Say, break that down for me. It means you don't have to get elected to the board you don't have to be elected to some position, to some high-level position. You, 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 don't, you don't have to be elevated to some uh, position of, of greater rank than someone else to be useful and, and be highly efficient as a partner in the ministry. Paul's teaching us the value of dedicated lay ministry. People like volunteers, volunteers like 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 Tim Klein running the the soundboard up there. You would not hear me this morning as well if he were not a dedicated layperson on duty. This is a day of celebration for many families, and some folks are away, and we're happy if they can get away for a break. And so if we did not have a volunteer up in the media room you would not be reading that on the deal because I don't know how to do it. I know how to send them the stuff, but I don't know how to do it. And the faithfulness of a dedicated layman can make all the difference in the world. How beautiful are our grounds today. How beautiful they are because some people not only came and tried to fire up some old lawnmowers and riding mowers that we've had for, for years... And they keep fixing them with erector set parts. I don't know how they do it. Sometimes you can't even buy parts for some of the mowers that we've had so long. And they have to make parts to keep them running. And those grounds look beautiful. 
That in many cases, they have been weeded, they have been fertilized. Look at the beauty of this island out here that some, some folks have made available above and beyond their tithe to be a blessing. These are lay people who are doing this. We're going to see new drums coming in. We've already had things repaired up in the multimedia and in the, and in the sound to, to, to help with our experience on Sunday mornings. These things are happening because of dedicated lay people, lay ministers, lay women who are making a difference in the life of this church. And Epaphroditus teaches us how to do that. So let me close our time together with this thought. I wonder how many times we go to work and, and we say something like this, man, I hate this job. Have <laughs> you ever gone to work man, I hate this job. I can't stand my job. I can't believe I let myself get stuck in this miserable company, but I can't get out because I need the wages and, and the benefits package is too good. But man, I hate this job. I wish I had something different, something better. You know, what if like Epaphroditus, what if like Epaphroditus, we saw our work as ministry? You see, Epaphroditus was not this highly educated preacher, teacher. He was not this high level layman in the, in the church of Philippi. Because we sometimes like to admire that, and sometimes we wish we were more like that. He was, Epaphroditus was just a perfect example of a layman called to serve Jesus in the things God has given him to be good at. Epaphroditus was good at serving other people. Is that who you are in the life of this church? Are you good at serving other people? He was good at working behind the scenes. Are you one of those people that works behind the scenes and half the time the pastoral staff doesn't and the board, they don't even know that you did stuff? I once in a while, I, I surprise you. I do a, a surprise inspection and drive around and I see stuff that, that you're doing. But I don't, I don't know the half of what people, laymen and women are doing in ministry to this church every day and every night. He was good at doing some jobs others were afraid to do. He was good at loyalty. He was good at courage under fire. He was good at handling large sums of money with integrity. He was good at being a spiritual friend to another brother or sister in Christ. He was good at trusting God's work in his life, even if it did not measure up to the world standards of what it looks like when you're a success in the ministry. So my life doesn't look anything like those successful people who went on to you know, have these great big churches or great big ministries or had tons of people that came to Jesus because of the soul-winning efforts. When's the last time you looked at your job as the mission field God has given you? When's the last time you did that? You say, well, I'm in school. Well, when's the last time you looked at your school relationships as part of God's assignment for you in ministry, that that's your mission field right now? You're, what, 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 if, what, if, what if Spencer's mission field is to do something for Jesus on that basketball team he's going to be playing on, and we'll all be cheering for him up at Huntington? Amen? Amen? Come on, we can do better than that. Man, this is a good player here. He loves Jesus. Who, who knows, that, who knows that, that, that while this young man is learning to fly airplanes, that he's not going to lead a, lead a, 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 a co-pilot to Jesus someday? Or, or lead some people that are getting on his plane and wanting to go somewhere. And he impacts someone for Jesus because his job is his mission field. 
That's an incredible thought for some of us. It's amazing. We look back and we see, you know, I, I look back in, on the course of my life. There was a seven-year period of time when I stepped out of pastoral ministry and I was in something we would call prison ministry with juveniles. For seven years, we were actively involved in our local church, but for seven years, I was working in a secular environment. And I can tell you, as I look back over those seven years, I think, really, not that I haven't had opportunities, and many people have come over the years as a result of the privilege of pastoring churches. But I I really believe this, that I think that during that seven-year period, I probably personally invited more co-workers and saw more people come and visit the church that was our home church than I have in some of the years when I've been in ministry. Because that was my mission field and I took it seriously. And, and oftentimes, that, what am I saying? I'm saying that when we see our job as our mission field like Epaphroditus did, it's amazing how many people we can influence toward Christ and the church. That is truly one of the most significant ways that the kingdom grows and the church grows with it. So, look, if you're retired, some of us are retired, quote, in retirement mode. So I'm going to ask you to think about your routines. What do you do every morning when you get up? What, what's your routine? So, so you're not going to go punch a time card like you had to for all your life to make a living. So what is your routine? Is your retirement still your mission field? Is the person you go have coffee with at McDonald's your mission field? Is the neighborhood your mission field? You know, you have, you have a more flexible schedule in retirement. You can, go, you can go to more funerals. Hopefully not your own, right? But you can go. Do you, do you, I know you know this, but let me just say the obvious. That when people are in, in, engaged in, a, in a, an experience of a funeral, meaning they've had a death in their family, sometimes their emotions and their mind are more open then than any other time in the world. That that could be your mission field as a retired person. If you're just starting out in life and you're thinking about your field of study for your life's work, how will you use your career to build the kingdom of God? Every time I go home to, to, to Ohio, and we're, we're going to try to get home for a day uh, uh, over this holiday here, but every time I go home to visit mom, I drive by one of those houses during those seven years when I was working in that institutional setting. And my wife will tell you, I do it every time. I said, honey, that's where Fred Conkey used to live. He's dead now. He was a retired military man. He was as rough as a cob. I mean, he was tough, and he could cuss it good. And he'd lived a hard life. And oftentimes you would find him at the local bar. He just didn't have much going for him. But that's the house we would drive by. And every time I worked a shift with him, I tried to talk to him about Jesus. And sometimes he'd let me. As far as I know, it never took. I pray that it did. But sometimes some of those people I talked to let me, let me share the plan of salvation with them. And sometimes they said yes to Jesus. And sometimes they didn't. And maybe sometimes they did and I just haven't heard about it. I don't know. But when you see your work as your mission field, it's an incredible opportunity 
as a layperson to serve Jesus. So may God challenge us all today to be faithful like Epaphroditus in using our giftings as incredible laymen and laywomen in the life of the church. Let's not just come together on a Memorial Day or a Fourth of July or on Veterans Day or whatever and sing the songs of the battle cry. Let's be willing to march in the army as well. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you for Memorial Day and thank you for the opportunity to remember special people and especially Jesus who died for us. And so we praise you. We pray, God, that if there's somebody that has not made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that they will do that by just saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe you died for me to cover my sin debt. And I invite you to come and be Lord and master of my life. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I'm going to do my best with your help to live a different life as you come into me and you give me a new heart and a new mind. And I just look forward to that, Jesus. Come into my heart and save me today. And Father, for the rest of us, especially those who are in lay ministry positions or need to be, may we see our work as our mission field. And may we be totally devoted to the life of the church of doing everything we can to bring her to excellence. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.